Hello, you're listening to Drawn to the Flame, a sometimes fortnightly, sometimes monthly podcast all about Arkham Horror, the card game. The living card game. I'm your host, Frank, <laughs> and today I'm joined by... It's me, Peter. Hello, Frank. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm, I'm doing good. Is that literally the first time we've done that during the intro? Yeah. It made me laugh. The first ever. <laughs> I was like, what What should I say for episode 190 that would really that, just that key, kick us off with key a Key milestone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, I've been planning ahead. I've been planning ahead. I like what it. What can I say? Yeah. So what are we talking about today, Peter? And how are you? I'm sorry, I'm doing, I'm doing yeah. well. Yeah, really good. Uh, we were just saying before we started, um, I've, I've got a week of annual leave, so had a weekend essentially doing nothing. And it's been really nice, just enjoying the the autumn weather outside, the increasingly uh, early evenings, mm. orange leaves. It's nice. I like autumn. I think it's my, my favourite season. Oh, lovely. Lovely. I had a very nice autumnal walk today, looking at the changing colours of the trees. It's beautiful. How how lovely. It was a lovely start to the episode, wasn't it? It is nice, yeah. It's all downhill from here. <laughs> so earlier this week, there was a news art- article popped up on the FFG site. As usual, we both ran over to read it and expecting it to be the announcement of the next pack. But actually it wasn't. It was the announcement of the FAQ and the new mm. taboo list. It's always an exciting day at Drawn to the Flame Towers. It is, yeah. Frank yeah. devours the rules and then excretes them in the form of <laughs> updates to Arkham DB. Yeah, there's a different hat that I'm putting on at that point as well, which is my <laughs> rules update hat. Yeah. I mean, it's one of the most challenging FAQs we've had because we've actually had a reversal for a rule. Oh, yeah, yeah. Do you want to tell us so, more about that first? Sure, yeah. So... Th- they ruled in the last FAQ, which came out at the start of Dream Eaters, so about six months ago, but it's more like eight or nine months ago now, that how As If would work, because we had Luke Robinson come out and he can play one event each turn as if he was at a connecting location and engaged with each enemy at that location. And they've decided that they actually didn't like the ruling that they didn't done and it created more problems than it solved. So they've reversed it and they've essentially changed As If to mean pretty much anything that would happen while you play the event at the start, during it, or at the end can still happen as if you're at the new place. So the new ruling, the game state is considered to be altered throughout the duration of the playing of the event from start to finish, making the question much easier to answer. And I thought, great, that totally makes sense to me. And someone sent me a rules question immediately that I couldn't answer. (laughs) So (laughs) I think as if we'll just continue to cause headaches and be tricky. It's one of those difficult things, I think, in any card game. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I think it's one yeah. of those difficult things. But there's now there's a there's a because I I kind of skimmed over it. I leave reading the as if section and understanding how it works to the people who choose to play Luke. <laughs> they yeah. if they come yeah. to my table with that kind of attitude, they're the ones that can do the reading. <laughs> uh, but there's there's a there's a good yeah. chunk in the FAQ now which which tries to answer those. So um, yeah. I can, yeah. we can point people in that direction. And actually, the article itself. The news article itself went into some detail on the changes MJ has made uh, in various areas, including the the taboo list, which we're going to talk about, yeah. uh, and goes into quite some detail. So I think what I wanted to say at the beginning is we're probably not going to go into the, the thinking behind the changes maybe as much, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That, uh, at least on the specific cards. I think it would be good to talk about the specific cards, but the details as to why the design team have changed them to what they are or added or decreased experience is laid out pretty clearly in the article. 
So mm. I can't recommend reading it enough. Yeah, and my first reaction to reading it, I was sending you quite excited messages because I just think it's a great article. And, you know, I've been around competitive games for a good while now and around FFG games where they have these kinds of things like taboo lists or similar kind of banned card lists. And normally designers add some kind of an explanation around why they're doing what they're doing. And I don't think I've ever read an article as thorough as this one. Uh, I know that probably just sounds like I'm blowing smoke up MJ's ass, but yeah, I was just really impressed by the article. It's sort of like, it was very clear. It was quite humorous as well, you know, just to say, look, here are all these changes. This is why we've done them. And it showed a lot of a lot of the working of the designers, which I think is also what you, what certainly what I want as a player to have an understanding of what the developers are doing and why they're making the changes they're making. Even if I don't agree with those changes, just knowing what their thinking is around it, as opposed to them feeling like this slightly sort of omnipotent force that just makes decisions willy-nilly. Yeah, I, I think I agree with that. It's not often you see well, designers or developers be so open with the reasons they're making their changes. And actually, when I used to play Magic the Gathering a long time ago, mm-hmm. uh, they would have regular kind of design design articles on their site about why certain decisions were made and, and why certain cards were restricted and things like that. And actually, I think it's it's quite an interesting thing to read about. So yeah, yeah I it, agree. It's good. it was really good to see, and I hope we see more of that kind of stuff. And I think that's the other reason why, certainly speaking personally, I don't want to just work through the article saying what MJ said, because... You know, you can read it for yourself. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we're already pretty positive about this game. We don't need to just go through an article and parrot all the things we like about it. The other thing that we're doing slightly differently for this episode: often we plan ahead of time what we're going to talk about and have a view of you know we'll do this first and then we'll move on to that topic or whatever it is. Honestly, we do. We do honestly plan. Yeah, (laughs) with this episode, we deliberately have not done that because one of the things we said to each other is, "Do we have thoughts about the taboo list?" and we've both do have some thoughts and we said well why don't we it was your suggestion let's just jump on and record them then yeah and we can surprise each other i almost i, I started to almost uh plan it out with frank just before we started and he cut me off <laughs> let's let's just get started yeah here we go royal rumble 2020 <laughs> the first episode when peter and frank argue yeah i'm ready so where do you want to start with this well let's do a very quick summary of what the taboo list is because mm-hmm. people might be you know we get new listeners they might have joined in for this episode if you're a veteran player just bear with us for a couple of minutes and we'll back, be back with the hot takes very soon the taboo list is kind of in two parts well three parts actually and it's a way for the designers to tweak the power of certain cards or yeah, tweak the power, I guess, of certain cards, mm-hmm. uh, just to keep the development of decks healthy. So yeah. we're not seeing certain cards become overpoweringly good or I think maybe overpoweringly bad as well. Make sure that mm. uh, when they design cards, they can they can fit them into a card pool where they're not going to be immediately outclassed by a different card. Yeah. I want to jump on a couple on. of little sentences on the oh, list no. itself. Oh, right, okay. It says the list, <laughs> list of things list I've said. Is, <laughs> no, 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 no. It just says that the list is designed to craft a healthy balance there between go, investigator yeah. power and scenario difficulty and to enforce shifts in deck building environments over time, which is essentially exactly what you've said. Yeah. The, the flip side without the taboo list is if 
the designers have no way of influencing player cards after they're out and they're in our hands, then they're forced to make scenarios do that work. And that means you might have scenarios get harder and harder to combat more and more powerful decks, Yeah, which isn't necessarily ideal. And, and the way it's broken down, it's broken down into three broad sections. The first is a, a tweaking of the experience it costs to add the, the cards to your deck. Mm-hmm. This has the impact of either making cards more or less appealing to put in based on your budget of experience you've got to spend. Uh, then there's the mutations, which it's a bit like um, errata. Errata means it's something quite specific. I think in Arkham, we'd normally see errata used to refer to what I would call like uh, functional errata. That's to make cards work the way they're supposed to work. Yeah. For the taboo list, uh, it's more like a balance errata. So it's tweaking the way cards work because they're a bit too overpoweringly good in the form they were printed. Or potentially mm. were, were, were bad and they weren't performing as, as intended. Uh, and finally, there's the forbidden section, uh, which is cards that you can't take in your deck at all. And up until the most recent taboo list, the forbidden section was empty. It was. It was a library with no books, but now we find our first forbidden tome yes. in there. And just one last brief point, the list of taboos is entirely optional. This is mm-hmm. stressed quite a bit. Yeah. I would. I tend to stick to it, unless I've already got a card in a deck and I'm playing through a campaign. I just I consider that the last hurrah of the card. <laughs> mm-hmm. That happened to me when higher education was was chained to be eight experience. I I just purchased it in my Ursula deck, <laughs> uh, so uh, I would I've made the most of that for the rest of that campaign. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, if 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 you don't like the way this changes the game, you know you're welcome to ignore the entire thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So like the optionalness of it is really important to stress because. This is a cooperative game, and you can change any rules you want to, really, <laughs> if you want to do it, because you're not playing competitively. There's not problems there. And I actually thought of this when I was thinking about as if, and you said, you know, if someone else is playing as Luke, they need to do the reading. I was thinking, as if is only a problem if you can't agree around the table how it works. As long as you all have a rough idea and are able to work it out at the, at the time you do it, I don't think that's a, a big issue. I say that and now you know someone will write in and say I'm, I'm wrong and I should get up to speed with it. The other thing I'd add about mutations is that when FFG issues an erratum, that normally implies that they'll, in future printings of the cards, correct the card. And so what they can do with the mutations is issue an erratum but not have to print it that way. So Dr. Milan has a mutation which makes him exhaust but that means they don't need to change dr milan in the core set so you can still buy the core set and dr milan works normally and just if you adopt the list of taboos you have to use it if you pick up a little ringing on the recording there listener sorry about that it's very noisy in my area this evening so yeah and the last thing i'd say is that mutations they can be kind of halfway house errata where they they can make an errata but you don't have to adopt it if you don't want to so the FFG don't have to reprint the card, but if you feel that there's a problem with the card, you can adopt the mutation and then you're all right. I think that's neat as a way of doing things. Go on. What did you want to talk about next, Peter? Let's just run through the chained and unchained list because I potentially mm-hmm. think that's the most immediate impact. Uh, this is changes in uh, XP levels for cards. It doesn't change the level of the card. It just changes the experience cost. 
Um, I saw someone <laughs> yeah. disappointed they couldn't they couldn't take Mr. Rook in their fin deck anymore. But you absolutely can. It just costs you four experience. Mm, yeah. So what we've seen is a host of cards have had experience added, yeah. uh, which didn't have it before. So Flamethrower's gone at plus one experience. Mr. Rook is now plus four experience, which I think mm-hmm. probably isn't surprising anyone really because he's been <laughs> no, no. He's, a, he's a he's a hell of a card. Um, knowledge is power, which maybe surprised me a little bit. Segment of Onyx and the new Necronomicon. Oh, and pa- so the big question well. here, Peter, is why are they targeting the cards that we're announcing? We announce Knowledge <laughs> is Power, we announce Segment of Onyx. Is it something about the cards we announced are just too good? Yeah, yeah, I don't know. The other thing is that some cards have dropped down an experience from previous lists. So Machete's mm. down to plus one experience from plus two. Higher Education, Streetwise and Scrapper. Similar cards also all also dropped down. They've all dropped down by two, right? That's right. Yeah, yeah Scrapper used to be plus three. Yeah, so I, th- I think that's that's interesting as well. What MJ hints hints at in the article is that the, the taboo list has done its job of discouraging those cards from being ubiquitous. Mm-hmm. And I certainly think that's the case with Machete. I I've seen like just a massive variety of weapons. Yeah. Since yeah. since Machete was on at plus two XP. And I honestly don't think it going to plus one XP is gonna change that. Yeah. The graph of like decks with Machete pre and post taboo, there's just a cliff on that yeah. like line, isn't there? Absolutely, yeah. yeah, yeah. So it I think it's done its job. And it's it's made people consider the other cards in their place. And it's put it at a at probably a reasonable place uh for people who do want to take it. Mm. Um, I think the same with higher education and streetwise as well, and I, I kind of miss those cards to be honest with you. Streetwise mm. especially really fit into certain decks, so it was a bit of, bit of a shame that it was so experience uh, so expensive. It's funny, isn't it? Because streetwise felt like it really fueled the spine of how rogues wanted to play, because it gave you the intellect boost to get clues, and it gave you the agility boost to deal with enemies. In the way that higher education, unless you were playing, say, spell slinging Daisy. The willpower, you maybe weren't using to to advance or deal with enemies or things like that in most Seekers. You were just using the intellect boost to make sure you never failed to get a clue ever, basically. But yeah, it's a small thing. There's one card that also snuck in there. I think it's higher on the list because it, it's an older card, which is Pathfinder. Yeah, I, 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 I did well. mention it briefly, but... Um, oh, okay, you yeah. spotted it, yeah. Um, yeah. Which, again, I, I don't think is a huge surprise really it was it was really good no. i think you could maybe argue that a, a one-off limit would i think mj mentioned this in the article actually you could mm. potentially look at a, at a one-off limit for pathfinder because really it's, it's pretty degenerate when you've got two down yeah yeah it's slotless <laughs> yeah it's, so. it's just really good so yeah that, that's where we are with the um chain slash unchained list mm. the, the thing i wanted to just interrogate you about a bit Frank, is I know you had an initial reaction of dislike on the fact that the Necronomicon's on there, and to an extent mm. the segment segment of Onyx as well, which is which yeah. is now at four XP, although albeit four XP for three copies, which takes the sting out a little bit. But do you maybe want to elaborate a bit on what why what your reaction was initially, at least, no matter what you think now, to the Necronomicon? Because I think it's your reaction. A lot of other people might have thought the same. Okay. Yeah. So I'll rewind the clock because obviously you know, my thoughts evolve so quickly. But you're just like a hot take generating machine, aren't you? <laughs> yeah. I think 
I, you know, you mentioned no surprise with Rook and wasn't surprised for me either. I was a little bit surprised with Knowledge's Power because it's often been the card, cards 31, 32 for me. You know, I've often want to include it and then end up, particularly in solo, not having the space for it. But that's fine. Segment of Onyx I can completely understand because when we announced it, we were saying, yeah, the challenge will be about how easy it is to assemble this. And then we both have played Mandy And it's Dex, very easy to assemble it. <laughs> very easy to assemble. And really the goal, more I think for you than for me, the goal is how many times can you do it before you loop your deck? Yeah. And if you can disassemble the Pendant of the Queen quickly enough, your deck is then tiny, so you're hitting the segments every time you search. I don't know, have you done it three times before you've looped your deck? Oh, yeah, 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 definitely three times. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that makes sense to me as well. The main caveat we had, like looking at that card, having not played it and talking about it, was how hard will it be to assemble? And we've seen not only can Mandy assemble it at light speed, but also lots of other investigators can as well. You know, as soon as you can do big digs into your deck searching, it's no problem. Necronomicon. Yeah, my initial reaction was... Uh, one of sadness and maybe a bit of frustration as well because I've not played with the Necronomicon yet because it only came out a month ago and it came out at a time when we've had more player cards come out than ever before in the life of the game yeah and I've I've played with all of the investigator starters now and uh, I've played I was going to say I played all of them through a campaign I've played four of them through campaigns now but it's a lot of cards to experience and particularly with XP you know, once you pick an upgrade path, you don't just upgrade into every single XP card in the Investigator Starter sets. So I've yet to put the Necronomicon on the table or in a deck. And yeah, that was where the sadness comes in, that it felt to me like this card was already being taken down a peg. And it's not like Higher Education or Rex Murphy that we've had a couple of years of people complaining about it it was in fact that it's already being taken down because the impression i have is that there have been people who are vocal about how strong it is and how broken it is and i already knew about that when i was first looking the deck because the card's been around for a while because it was announced i think when the starter decks were announced which must have been in was it in lockdown when they were announced april yeah it was certainly this year yeah it was at some point earlier this year. The Necronomicon was one of the cards in, in the Harvey article, so people knew about it. But that means that people have been proxying it and playing with it in that period of time. And the impression I have is have, have been vocal about it to such a degree that it's already made it onto the taboo list. And it just, yeah, my initial thought was, uh, oh, I've said sad already. Like, yeah, definitely sadness, maybe disappointment even. And I thought there'll be plenty of players who who either haven't bought the Harvey pack yet or haven't played with it and definitely haven't played with the Necronomicon. And already it's got this label of being too good. And Yeah, so that was that was kind of my initial. I don't know yeah. if that's what you wanted. No, to I, I, I definitely did. <laughs> yeah. and, and I think uh, it also... T- I've seen a few people people say that it's almost a condemnation of, of FFG and their playtesting that a card has basically come out with the Rata on it mm. or, or with, the, with a taboo on it straight away. And it... You know, really, if if their if their playtesting is robust, it's the kind of thing they should have picked up, which I, I guess is a is a is a is a valid point to make. You know, I think yeah, as as MJ has said to us on multiple occasions, when these packs go into the wild, they're played more in the first day than they they can ever manage. Mm. Certainly for scenarios, anyway. So 
Yeah. If a card is changed later on in playtesting, obviously we don't know the backstory of this card at all. So if a card is, is changed later on in, in playtesting, there's maybe not a chance to really assess the full impact of that change. Mm. And I, I would say something like a card like Plan of Action, it's quite possible that Plan of Action was changed late don't, in the don't day. Don't make excuses. <laughs> and they added the maybe they added the wild icon later in the day. Peter. <laughs> maybe they did. Maybe and they that's did. That's why it's so strong. Yeah, I don't. You know, that, it's possible. Yeah, that's that's sometimes when you have these these cards that seem really above or really below the curve, it can be a late change. Absolutely. The other thing I'd add about that, I'm really glad you mentioned that thing about how many people see cards as soon as a pack is in the wild. The other thing is that particularly with cards with XP. They're harder to playtest because they require playtesters to upgrade their decks or play standalones and things like that. And it's harder to check that the power level is sort of right for the XP that they're on, Yeah, if you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And, you know, there's, there's that sort of weird nebulous, is this a 3 XP or a 4 XP card? Is it is it breaking what it should be doing or not? Yeah. Well, th- 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 there's a few difficulties around balancing XP. And, you know, maybe this is a topic for a different day, or maybe this is something we can bring up with MJ next time they're on, on the podcast, Touchwood. <laughs> you know, you, you've only got, well, six levels to work with, haven't you? Zero, one, two, three, four, five. Mm. Plus, mm. you've got your um, exceptional. Yeah. So, so you know, it's, it's a relatively discrete level of balancing you've got. Once you get to five XP, there's no way you can go, you know. Yeah. Um, you yeah. can't turn it up to 11. Apart from with the tabulist, right, where you chain something over the over the well, level. Well, exactly. This is my point. Yeah, and also I think there's there's how much XP do you expect someone to get over the course of a campaign, mm-hmm. which is is a separate level of balance in itself, and and it's almost like the better your cards are, the better you're able to gain more experience as well. I've often thought mm. about that. Whether it's it's a if you if you smash it early on and get a bunch of experience upgrade your deck to be more powerful getting the future experience becomes easier yeah yeah you go into scenario two having delved however many times in scenario one you're already ahead of the game then for what you want to do absolutely absolutely i guess the other thing with the necronomicon that's worth bearing in mind is that it is an insanely strong card and it's maybe quite alluring to say well 5xp is decent for it but then when you realize that you can because everything on it is free <laughs> and you get so much choice and so much power it in itself i think can be very hard to quantify how potent it's going to be and funnily enough we'll also see on this list that sleight of hand is hit again it's yeah. been remutated and that obviously is in part a response to doing things like sleight of handing out the necronomicon and Necronomicon. drawing six cards yeah. <laughs> and yeah. it back to your hand yeah and then it comes back to your hand and that's kind of kind of tricky i mean and then you know I, I i went from that position of feeling sad about it to thinking this is where that where the thought evolved i suppose which was that what if the necronomicon is a problem card because it's too powerful and the choices that the designers then have are encouraging everyone to play at a higher difficulty, <laughs> making scenarios harder, or chaining the Necronomicon. And if the if chaining the Necronomicon is inevitable, does it matter if it's chained now or chained in a year's time? Well, exactly, yes. Wouldn't... And So that's where I've got to. And I yeah. would prefer people in the community weren't vocally complaining about cards. And if that means that a card like this is chained and people chill out about it, 
that's good as far as I'm concerned for the environment in which I want to play the game and talk about the game. Well, I, I think you, you've skipped a step there. You'd When you say you'd rather people weren't complaining, that you're not trying to say, shut up, chumps, and take your medicine. But what, what you're saying is no. that you'd rather the cards were, everything was balanced and people were having a good time with their cards. Or yeah. maybe, maybe, maybe you just uh, well, help people. No. You, you don't but, you want people but, to uh, shut up. I mean, also, there's, yeah, I was sort of saying you can shut up, I suppose, because there's another option here. You know, if you don't like a card, you don't have to play with it. Yeah, I, but I like that's we're not playing competitively. That's the thing. If there's a card, like particularly a card that's too strong, mm-hmm. like I can say I have an hour to talk about Arkham. How do I want to fill that time? Do I want to fill that time picking the five cards that I think are too strong and complaining about them, or do I want to fill that time getting excited about new deck ideas or exploring other things? Well, I, I think we've had this discussion before, Frank, and I think this is the end of the podcast. To be honest with you, okay, yeah, there we <laughs> go. Royal no. Rumble twenty twenty. No. I told you because yeah. because to me, I think a part of the the challenge people like in the game is is identifying what the best cards are mm. certainly that sit alongside other cards imagine imagine how great it would have felt when you realized you could sleight of hand out the necronomicon imagine how and and then and then how you put that into a deck to make the best use of it and i agree with you that it's a shame that it's been chained to limit the power of that combo and in fact sleight of hand has been tabooed entirely so it doesn't work uh, yeah. but for the person who discovered it you know, I bet they were having a great time. And even when they were playing it, and it was totally degenerate as they were playing it, you know, they they got a a chance to feel like they'd really like put the effort in and, and discovered something good. Yeah. So I while while I while I, I have no problem with, with your that, point though. of That's view. The thing. Okay, right. But the, so no, I I completely agree. And and in fact, there are fewer people who will experience that around the world. What you've just described. Because the, the, there has been some people who've experienced that and said, this is too good or this is a problem. Like, that's the weird, like, it's not people being like, this is brilliant. I love this so much. It's people going, I hate this. It's too good. I've broken the game. Yeah, I see where you're coming from. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. Like, there's the I, response I, yeah, there. I, I guess, yeah. And I, I'm not saying that people can't be, and obviously I actually have no say anyway, but I'm not saying people can't be, uh, complain about things. Obviously people will find things they don't like and part of being in a big community of people all experiencing the game is not everyone's going to agree with me but to find something strong and feel that that makes the game worse and to complain as though you have no power to do anything about it because the other thing is like you can make up your own list of taboos do you remember before the first taboo list came out i said i was no longer playing dr milan yeah it did yeah i remember that yeah and it just i you know I, i even was reflecting on this I was talking to a friend of the show recently and they were saying, yeah, you know, 4XP for Rook, I think that feels right because it felt really weird to keep building Seeker decks and know that I could make the deck better if I just included Rook. And you've said it on the cast as well, like the Rook Astounding Revelation package more or less makes every deck better. Yeah. And I remember feeling that way about Dr. Milan, like sending you a Seeker list that had, say, Malison as the ally. And you could say, you know what would make this deck better? <laughs> but, if you ran but, Dr. Milan but, as your ally. And it would. Like, I was actually, every time I said that, I was absolutely right. <laughs> yeah, you were. You were. And it, then it, so then it's then like, what's my dysfunction that I'm refusing to do that? Well, just, just uh, obstinance. Is that the right yeah, word? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Stubborn unwillingness. Yeah. Or I felt like it was maybe too it's strong. It's a great, um, I've shared it with my friend a few times. There's a, there's a meme of Pingu, like sitting cross-legged on his chair. Yeah, and it's like, well, 
you tell me to do something, I'll want to do the exact opposite. <laughs> well, now I don't want to do it. Yeah, okay, well, I, th- I think you, you, you definitely raise interesting points there. And I, 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 I guess the frustration for, for people would be they want to feel like they can use all their cards as printed and that they should be right. Yeah. Because they, yeah. they've spent the time and the money getting into this game, they've bought the cards, and there's a feeling of frustration that the thing they ask is that the cards are, are usable. And actually, we've seen mm. in this pack, there's there's a forbidden card. So a card that, that people... And, and uh, to me, actually, the card that's forbidden is the real shame. Should we talk? Yeah. Should we jump into talking about that? And I, I just want to jump in just before we move on and completely agree with you. Like, option one here would be that there was no need for a taboo list because everything was balanced. Yeah. And, and that's obviously out of our hands as well. But the idea that, that there are cards that one shouldn't play, whoever's saying you shouldn't do that, I think is sad. You know, like you do want to be able to play everything. And yeah, let's talk about this forbidden you card. Our first forbidden card. Interrupted me to tell me that you agree with me. Yeah. <laughs> Let exactly. me stop you there, Peter. I just have to say, I agree. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah the, the, the first forbidden card, it's a, it's double or nothing, uh, which, uh, I mean, we can actually see from the symbol in the, in the FAQ here. It's the 26th card in Dunwich. So that's pretty mm. early. That's the first, is it the first pack it came out in or second pack? Oh, is it? Is it maybe just core? It may, maybe it's just core, actually. Yeah, 26. Could be. Because there's 15 investigators are 1 to 5. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Their signatures are uh, 6 to 15. So it might be... I think it is. I think you're right. Yeah. Could, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so, so the first the, the first <laughs> bunch of extra cards we got, double or nothing. Mm. And yeah, I, I think it's a... I've got mixed feelings. I understand the logic entirely behind the, the, the banning mm. of it, because... Every single time another card comes out, double or nothing gets better because you've got more interactions that you can double up with it. Mm. Yeah. I've always, I mean, at its base level, it's kind of another copy of whatever skill card or whatever you've put into a test. Mm-hmm. And with yeah. some of the other skill cards and, and uh, effects you could add to a test in Rogue, especially, it became incredibly strong. Mm. Especially when you combine it with tricks, which like lower the difficulty as well. And you start and lowering it, you know, you're at a test that's one or, you know, zero or one difficulty. When you double it, it becomes very easy to, to pass that test, doesn't it? Yeah, that backbreaking difficulty too is, uh, yeah, not a thing. Yeah, I think even even before it's, the, what, it's a double of whatever skill you've committed, I think it's also vicious blow and deduction in one card. Yeah, exactly. Which is one of the yes. things I yeah, started to really like about it. Yeah. That it if you're doing a punch, it'll make it two punches. If you're getting a clue, it'll make it two clues. And for the longest time, I think the thing that curbed that was that the difficulty doubled. So it was a deduction, but it wouldn't help you get those two clues on a four-shroud location because you're bumping the shroud to eight. Or it was a vicious blow, but it wouldn't help you with the big enemy you needed to kill. Um, which is so roguish, isn't it, that they were good at doing things doubly well when it was easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you'd stock up your hand and then you'd power in with the, the almighty test. Yeah, and I think that 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 mechanic of doubling the difficulty, but also doubling the reward, felt very rogue. It was very fun when you pulled it off as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because you just slap it into a test, and then everyone, everyone on the table is trying to contribute to make sure that you pass. And so, did you have any experience of double or nothing as a problem card? Were there any, can you think of any play experiences where a double or nothing player has actually left you thinking? Ooh, I'm not sure about that. Well, I mean, that's an interesting question 
I definitely felt of all the cards that have been tabooed or, or chained, Pathfinder and Segment of Onyx have jumped out to me at cards where, and actually um, Higher Education as well, all jumped out to me as cards that felt like they were reducing the fun for the other players around the table. Mm. Mm. Segment of Onyx, it, you know, you, you it's a. Oh, I, I, I always I notice I do this a lot on the cast, but I remember some bit of pop culture I want to reference back to. <laughs> but one of my all-time favorite TV programs is um, is Red Dwarf, mm. one of the greatest uh, sci-fi sitcoms ever made. And there's there's a bit I don't know how well you know it, Frank, but there's there's a bit later Not on. Not very well. Well, I think it's in uh, it's in the sixth series, and they've been they've. <laughs> Yes, they've ended up like trapped in a prison on a planet, and they spend about. Or Lister kind of comes up with this elaborate plot where they're going to like take out a brick from the wall in the cell, and then weave a rope out of strands of hessian from a blanket in the cell, trip up a guard, and it goes on like this. And then Crichton kind of pulls out this device they picked up earlier in the episode and says, "Oh, we could use the teleporter." <laughs> yeah. yeah, or, or yeah, or in a pinch, we can use the teleporter, and then they just teleport That's out, and it's done. Very and- <laughs> segment of Onyx, <laughs> exactly. Yes, so so you know you come up with an elaborate plan. It's like yeah, we could do this, we could do that, or I could use a segment. It's fine. We've got a clue in that location. It's going to take me two actions to get over there. It's a fire shroud location, so I have to put some cards in, and then I'll have to get back out. I might there's an enemy in the way. So, uh, you could do all that, or you know, here's a segment. Boom, got the clue. Don't need to worry about it. And I think what what the, what it does in each of those. So. If when any one player becomes too capable uh, mm. and ca- and broadly capable of doing lots of things, it really takes away the experience from the other people around the table. Because mm. if if you're playing Mandy and f- you're sitting opposite Finn, and Finn's got or, or Skids, Mister Slips himself, he's got a deck built around evading enemies and pickpocketing them and getting money and then hacking them up. Suddenly Mandy shows up and she's like, "Well, I'll just evade that for you. It's much easier. I can do it without spending an action." Deleted. And uh, yeah, and, and I want to spend these so I can get the thing shuffled back in my deck. Yeah. So this is a two-part anecdote, and Go part on. two will come up in a moment. <laughs> but I'm playing through Dream Eaters with someone for their blind play, friend of the show, Ed. And I'm playing Mandy opposite Patrice on the waking side. And this is pre-taboo. I have Rook, I have a standing revelation, I have Segment of Onyx. And he's never played Mandy before, so he's watching the Mandy engine in full flow. And I'm not a Stella Mundy player, but I can make things happen, all right. But we just played A Thousand Shapes of Horror, and The Unnameable came out, and he was like, oh, okay, that's going to be an issue. And I was like, well, or I can just auto-evade it. <laughs> yeah. Or I can- and then he was like, and I was in the attic, and he was like, okay, but now we have to get all the way down here. It's like, yeah, I can teleport there next yeah. time. Or I can use the teleport. Yeah, exactly that. So that was an illustration of, he, he wasn't upset about it at the time. He was like, wow, that's incredible. But I definitely knew that I was running an engine that was so powerful as to remove a lot of the jeopardy for me. You know, there was jeopardy for Patrice as she made her way through the house to get to the right place. And then Mandy was just teleporting. So, yeah. But how does that relate to Double or Nothing? Because I guess your original point was Double or Nothing doesn't make the game unfun. No, and I, I think... Broadly speaking, I've had a lot more positive experiences using Double or Nothing than negative experiences. Mm-hmm. There's lots of fun Double or Nothing plays that I can remember. Where- can I just, sorry, pause you there? Yeah. When you say fun experiences, are you saying you're committing Double or Nothing to other people's tests to ruin the day? <laughs> no, no, not at all. <laughs> I did that once, Frank. <laughs> yeah, there's. 
it's it's like a it's often like a crowning jewel in 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 a in a play session and like mm. you could make the argument that it's made the scenario a lot easier when it's happened because you're mm. like blast apart an enemy in a single action mm. certainly yeah. like i guess the, the closest it would have got to like a negative experience is maybe when we've been playing the blob and the blob especially lets you tool up and get ready to fight I don't want to spoil anything about the blob, um, but if 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 you plan well, you can do like double or nothing flamethrower, uh, and then it's like you're absolutely rinsing that scenario. Certainly, you're con- contributing a lot easily to the to overall yes. score score on that that scenario. And that that Sunday UK Games Expo session, when suddenly the blob was on half health after forty five minutes, that that's why that's happening. That's double or nothing in at work. So you could say that it's removing some of the jeopardy for the the players as a whole because it's just doing so much damage in so many in such a short space of time that there's then no time pressure like the 3 hours is not going to be a problem getting to the health threshold is not going to be a problem you know all of those things are compressed I can see that I I just say like my feeling as well is is probably a bit of sadness about that that the majority of people I've played with see double or nothing as a challenging card to use and one that requires you to have got all of your ducks in a row with everything else you need to do. They don't see it as the card that they're using to insert a crowbar into the ribs of a scenario and crack the scenario open. They see it more as that kind of trick play or that amazing moment. And like I have sympathy with that, I would say, because that's the issue with a card like Double or Nothing, that it provides both of those possibilities so there will always be people who will try and find the most extreme examples of of that yeah so this is the second part of the anecdote on the uh, dreaming side of my campaign with ed he's playing tony and he doesn't know anything about the taboo list and built his deck without my involvement and he's running watch this quick thinking double or nothing <laughs> like <laughs> you know the whole thing and I think, you know, hasn't played a combat rogue before, obviously, because Tony's fairly new. So he was trying to get his head around all of those things. And it started clicking for him that you commit double or nothing, a quick thinking and a watch this, give yourself plus three to a test. Even if you've doubled the fight of a, a three fight enemy to six, you're still way over what you need to do there. And then you suddenly get this explosion of resources, actions, do four damage in a shot, whatever it is. And... It's really it's really fascinating that we both have essentially taboo non-compliant decks on either side and seeing the difference in experience that the the doubling play playstyle does come with risks and comes with a lot of thrills and after Tony's done something like that he kind of needs to rebuild a bit before he's ready for the next enemy in the way that rebuilding the the pendant of the queen for Mandy is there's not really any risk involved in that I just rebuild it <laughs> very quickly so yeah farewell double or nothing yeah yeah it's it's a real shame and, and maybe we can uh we can do some more content around that maybe we can do a, a swan song don't double or nothing deck each or something i mean i, I totally yeah. get the, the the point mj's made in the article is mm. that i think i've seen some people quote it is that it's it's a total liability at worst and game shattering at best mm-hmm. um, and when it's a card that's so highly variant like that it does become a real challenge to balance around. And I you know, I think maybe it's the, the an example of a card which is seems so much fun and is is a lot of fun in uh in 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 90% of cases, 10% of cases it can be really be used yeah. to and like maybe we'll look back at it, you know, the, when you, when you read stories about magic, 
there's those early cards in, in the first few cycles that just did had totally mind-blowing effects and mm. just would never be printed again nowadays but you know there's there's a thriving scene which uses those cards so if you ever want to play without the taboo list and you know stick a stick two double nothings in your deck maybe that's something you can you can do it definitely is something yeah, you can do for sure for sure i think like as well, Double or Nothing was printed when the only other rogue skill was Opportunist. <laughs> like, Quick Thinking wasn't out when Double or Nothing came out. Yeah. Watch This was another cycle away. So that whole idea of the archetype where you pile those cards in just, just didn't exist. So obviously, it's fallen foul of the fact that the card pool has grown. And then the other thing that didn't exist was Three Aces. So you can put double or nothing and three aces into a test if you have them all. That's plus four wild icons to your skill. And the difficulty is zero because it's auto-succeed. All risk is basically removed there. Yeah. And that, that's just double or double. Yeah, exactly, yeah. <laughs> Which is, double yeah, full stop. There's some really cool changes in the mutations. Yeah. Do you want to move on uh, to mutations yeah. briefly? I realize we've talked for quite a while. Yeah, we have. We're up, yeah. to, up to, well, quite, quite a way into this episode. I, I don't think any of the mutation changes are massively surprising well i think mm. most of them aren't <laughs> there's two very generous there ones, are so we'll, we'll, we'll let's come back to those in a sec quick thinking okay. that was already mutated right yes it was limit one per test before. right and now it's max once per round which is a, a kind yeah. of a bigger <laughs> limit once per test isn't yeah. it yeah yeah which i think is fine sleight of hand and that's partly in response to amanda Yes. Because in Amanda, if you took Versatile and took Quick Thinking, you could put Quick Thinking underneath Amanda. Yes. And every action you took, you'd get another action. Yeah, and then, yeah. <laughs> An Forever. infinite turn. Yeah. As long as you could keep succeeding by two. I think that's fine. I think that's fine. Yeah. Sleight of hand, this also was tabooed and has been tabooed yeah. in a dif- uh, different way now, right? Was it previously mm-hmm. it had to be a single-handed item? Yes. Yeah. And it's now changed. Now it's a level zero to three item asset. Yeah, I think, again, actually, I think this is better because it lets us go back to some of the fun abilities we we, we used to use this for. Mm-hmm. You can sleight of hand in uh, Thompson now. Yes, and uh, Lupara, So you right? can do... Yeah, Lupara is single-handed already. Oh, is it? of course it is, yes. Yeah, yeah, it's shorn, sawn off, but you lost the ability to slight in a machine gun and do the kind of classic yeah, the, the pulling the gun Chicago out of your typewriter. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. So typewriter is level four, so it's out. But forty-five Thompson, the rogue version, is level three, and the, there's also the multi-class card version. So you could do that. Yeah. It also means you can, you know, slide out your lockpicks or things like that, which you could do anyway. It essentially stops you sliding out anything of high level, like say the Necronomicon. Yeah, or, or <laughs> which the I guess is the gun and stuff like that. Yeah, or the flamethrower. Yeah. All of those kind of things. But I guess they were stopped anyway by the hand restriction. It's now any cards that were single-handed at level four or yeah, five. Yeah, well, that's what I mean. Yeah, so, so it's 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 got yeah. some more fun uses now. Because mm. you can put those double... But, it, but it's less likely to totally break the game. Yeah, and the other thing that you could slide out was the Sawn-Off Shotgun, which is the level five rogue card that's single-handed and does damage equal to the amount you succeed by. And I know that there was a couple of decks floating around where you were sliding that out and then doing things like three aces to pass. Yeah. So you were getting this insane amount of damage combined with double or nothing, and then you get the gun back into your hand. I honestly think this is a more elegant change, honestly. Yeah. I, 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 yeah. Think it's a, I, I like this change, actually. I like it a lot. 
Okay. Yeah. Big, big loss. All in. Yeah. Pauline. Pauline. She. Pauline. Yeah. Pauline. All in. All in. <laughs> this has been changed to be removed from the game after you trigger it. Yeah. I, I'm only just convincing you to run all no, in. No, no. I I love all in. Uh, yeah. I've run it quite a few times. Again, I think this is fine. And um, this mm-hmm. just stops kind of infinite recursion. Yeah. If you commit a double or nothing and succeed by five, you draw ten cards yeah. with all in. And then if shuffling any weakness back into your deck. Yes, and then if you can get all in back in your deck that turn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, so I, I think those are all reasonable changes. Yeah, I think so too. Because they are all still able to be used pretty well. Like again, ninety percent of the time, you're not doing such high level of nonsense with quick thinking. You're no. taking an odd extra no. action, and the same with sleight of hand. You know, sometimes it's just you know. You're getting your um, your your sour mash or something, and having a tot of that or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but the last two, first of all, we've got uh, Scroll of Secrets, mm-hmm. which has had its ability changed from being an action to being a free trigger ability. Mm, yeah. And then the Winchester, which has had quite it's quite an elaborate change. So yeah. you spend an action. So so the Winchester has been errated as well. Am I right in thinking yes. that? Because yeah. it didn't yeah. previously spend ammo. Yeah, yeah. It now does spend ammo, as everyone assumed it would do. Yeah. So it's been errated, but also mutated. So yeah. so now, it's, if you reveal a chaos token with a non-negative modifier, it deals plus two damage. Can you just remind us, Frank, if you've got Arkham DB handy, what it did mm-hmm. originally, yeah. or off the top of your head? Yeah, so originally it was, if you reveal a plus one, zero, or elder sign you do plus two damage. Yes. So it's now a plus one... What was it, did you say? A plus one? Zero or Oh, so sign. it did work on zeros previously. Yeah. Ah, but it was now only a zero. it works on blessed tokens. And it also works on special tokens that don't have a negative modifier. Yeah. So if your skull... So that are... cultist that says reveal another token or whatever it is. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, actually, yeah. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah, or Skulls minus, minus one for each Doom in play, and there's no Doom in yeah, play. Or skulls if you're Jim, as well. obviously. Or if you're Jim. Winchester Jim is yeah. a possible thing. Jimchester. Yeah. <laughs> so the scope for use of the Winchester has suddenly increased. Yes. And I guess, before you, you dive in, Frank, because I know what you like, we've only got... <laughs> I don't want to spend too much more time, but what I really want to ask you else. Yeah. is... What do you think about this kind of buffing of cards via mutations? So, Peter, very briefly. Be brief. Playing today, my play buddy who's playing Norman said, how would you feel about me using the mutated Scroll of Secrets, Mystic Scroll of Secrets in my deck as a free trigger rather than an action? And I said, sure, let's go for it. Let's have fun. And so he played Scroll of Secrets level three, the mystic version, and used all four secrets off it. And we used each secret in a different way. (laughs) Right. Because it has so many different options of how you can use it. And both of us said, that was cute. (laughs) And obviously there is no way he would have put Scroll of Secrets for three XP in his Norman deck when it cost an action. Yeah. But because it cost a free trigger, we had load of fun trying them out. Do you want to just... um, Remind listeners what it does. Right. Do you have it in front of yeah, you? I do, yeah. So, um, this is the Mystic. I'm one, looking yeah. at the upgraded Mystic one here, just as an example. So, it comes into play with four secrets. It only costs one. So, that's that's pretty yeah. tasty. You spend a secret and exhaust it. So, you can't spend all four secrets together, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
you can look at the top or bottom card of any investigator's deck or the encounter deck. You either discard that card, add it to its owner's hand, place it on the bottom of its deck, or place it on the top of its deck. So, man, the, the, the level of what you can do in this card, you can, you can look at the top card of someone's deck and either let them draw it or get rid of it or put it back in the bottom of the deck. Norman looked at my deck and the top card was Daring and I hadn't had my turn yet and was about to fight, so he gave me Daring. Later in the game, he looked at the top card of my deck. By the way, it doesn't care what location you're at. Yeah. And the top card of my deck was a weakness, so he discarded it for me. (laughs) He used it to draw a card off the top of his deck to change what was on the top of Norman's deck um, to do something. And then he also used it to peek at the encounter deck to decide whether or not he wanted to draw that card in Mythos. So, like, straight away, loads of different fun things happening. Yeah. Can, can I can I quote here from... Because I'm looking at ArkhamDB here. Um, and mm. Sasanak has written a review of the card. And I'll just at the beginning of the second paragraph. Because this was written a year ago, says, this would have been much better if it was a free action trigger. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. So, so yeah, I, I think that's good. I'd be interested, slightly more interested to play with it now. <laughs> So we'd already seen Springfield have uh, an experience reduction, which is the only card we've seen that's actually had its experience dropped down. I still haven't seen many Springfield decks. I have not either, no. But I like this idea of using the mutation to try and allow some of these cards to creep into the card pool. I think that's fine. Yeah. That's, it, that, it that, definitely... that, that's the totality of your hot take on yeah, buffing that's cards. The totality of my it's good. Take. Well, and I, I think I'd add, and this is just repeating from the article, the ideal with the list of taboos is just changing experience because the more you can avoid changing things on cards themselves, the better. Yeah. Because it's that mental load to go, oh, hang on, all in, I actually have to remove this after I commit it or things like that. So so if you can avoid that, that's good. Players don't go, oh my goodness, I misplayed that. And I've seen various people say they put either stickers on their sleeves to remind them, yeah. or maybe print a new version of the text, or put a little piece of paper in their sleeve if they're doing that, just as a little reminder. I think you know all of that is showing that people find it hard to just store this information in their head, which makes sense. You know, for something like the Winchester, I can see myself saying, "Well, this non-negative is all I need to remember. As long as it's non-negative, we're fine." And that's that's all right as a sort of shift. Yeah, I think that's cool. Like, I think that's an an interesting way of interacting with the card pool. And again, going back to that thing, the list is designed to craft a healthy balance between investigator power and scenario difficulty. If that means that people try out Scroll of Secrets again, because they, you know, at best you're paying one to draw four cards. That's fine. And you get to choose whether or not you draw it once you've seen it. That's pretty cool. Yeah. And actually in Norman, you can be either discarding or shuffling back or putting on the bottom of the yeah. deck, that, that last one. Can't yeah. You? you can do all that, sorts that, of cheeky things card. with Norman, yeah. yeah. They, there is a... You've mentioned people putting stickers on their cards. Mm. In I don't know whether they did this last time, but you can download like updated versions of the cards. Yes, yeah. Did they do that last time or was that new for this version they've, of the list? They've done that once. There's been two taboo lists before. They've done it for one of the taboo right. lists, but not the other. So, yeah, if, if you're, you get, I suppose you get these cards professionally printed if you want. Um, mm-hmm. But you can certainly print yeah. off the paper versions of them and then slip them in your sleeves and have them on hand. That's available on the news article, which I think is quite a nice, nice wee addition. 
And if you use ArkhamDB, when you're building a deck, there's a little drop-down menu and you can select which taboo list you want to work with and it will add all the XP and, and note the different changes and put little symbols next to the card names as well. So if ArkhamDB is your go-to place for deck building, you don't need to have the list of taboos open as well as you do it, which is good. Yeah. And what's your final hot take, Peter? Is there anything else you want to add? No, it's, uh, it's, it's always a, it's, it's a slightly contentious subject. I hope we've mm. done everyone justice in this article. What we didn't want to do is go into too much depth talking about each card. Yeah, uh, it yeah. will be interesting to speak to MJ again about this. Yeah, uh, yeah if if yeah, if, they're, sure. if they're happy to come on the cast again at some point, mm. maybe after Innsmouth. Maybe. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I like. I, I've said in the past that I like being able to use all my cards without mm-hmm. feeling too guilty yeah. about it, and. Uh, the taboo list is a way if it's a way for those cards to be better balanced and make me feel less guilty about using them then I'm all for it broadly speaking Mm. yeah yeah and you know reflecting what I said earlier about hoping that people weren't just you know the environment wasn't filled with people complaining if the taboo list helps people feel better about the game and where it's at and the metagame that I'm all for that that would be fantastic that people feel like wow I'm loving where the game's at right now it's healthy I don't feel like the game is breaking every time I make a strong deck because I'm too good at it. You know, all of that sort of sort of stuff. I think that's that's good, you know. And uh, that that loops me all the way back around to the feeling reading the article that they don't just care about the game, but they care about the meta game and that there's an awareness from MJ and Jeremy about the things that have been problems and how they're going to try and respond to them. They even, there's this little gag. They say the great seeker nerf of 2020 continues. Yeah, as their yeah I saw that. Nerf, yeah. Nerf. You know, so they're aware of it. They're aware that a load of seeker cards are being hit and that, the, you know, using the term nerfing is obviously the parlance for reducing the power of something. So yeah, so that, I think all of that is good. Like really good that, that the designers care and are actively working on stuff and, engaged in seeing what's happening all of that i think is positive we hope you've enjoyed this episode as ever you can get in touch with us we're drawn to the flame podcast at gmail.com we're drawn to the flame on facebook twitter designed by humans if you want any drawn to the flame goodies or also on patreon and we have our own discord for patrons so you can come and talk to us there or in any of the other places i just mentioned peter how can people get in touch with you i am united everywhere that's u-n-i-t-l-e-d uh, I'm on uh, Twitter and the Discord and Reddit and Instagram as the.unitled. So please say hello. How about you, Frank? Yeah, I'm FEB or FB or Zooey Glass or Zozo around the place. If you spot any errors with ArkhamDB, we're still updating all of the new tabooed stuff and the FAQ. So please bear with me as we do that. But if you spot an error and you want to let me know, Zooey Glass on Discord is probably the e- easiest way to to notify me and I can make updates. So yeah, thank you very much for listening. Thank you. Thank you.